right. Um, we're in the middle of a series right now, and I'll, I'll catch you guys up if, uh, if this is new to you, just to give you a little overview of what we've been hoping to accomplish in this series that we've been calling Pop Solutions. Basically, what we mean by that is that it seems as though there's a bunch of uh, versions, I would say, uh, reductions of what the beauty of the gospel really is, and we settle for like a lesser version of it. And there's so, there's so much beauty in what Jesus would have for us and what scripture would teach, but then we kind of get lulled, I would say, by the culture and come up with words that are kind of like what Jesus says, but don't actually fully capture it. And if we don't reclaim those things, it's actually pretty crazy to see where we could end up with uh, almost a watered-down version of what Jesus would want to tell us. So uh, we don't want to have just the popular solutions. We want to have what Jesus would say. And so today, we're going to be contrasting two things, kindness versus love. So of course, like with all of the sermons in this series, there's a little bit of semantics and wordplay going on. Am I going to argue that we shouldn't be kind today? (laughs) Obviously not. But sometimes I find that in Christianity and in following God, love gets reduced to being kind. And perhaps there's a fuller definition of love that for sure includes kindness, but if we stay there, we miss out on some pretty beautiful, important stuff. And so we're going to kind of, for the sake of the exercise, pull those two words apart, see what the difference is, and see what Jesus would have to say about that in his word. So, uh, I think it's safe to say that, well, I don't know about you, but you kind of grow up and it's very easy to correlate the idea that, like, if you're a Christian, you should be kind. (laughs) There's so much truth in that, and Christians are some of the kindest people that I've ever met. They can also be some of the meanest people I've ever met, but uh, generally speaking, if you think about the cliche Christian, I don't know, maybe a family, I don't know what image comes to your mind if you were, like, to draw a Christian, (laughs) that they probably have a big smile, and they, I don't know what they have, but they're nice, (laughs) They're just nice people. Um, Okay, cool. Uh, But here's here's where kind of the rub has come, as I've been thinking about the word kindness, is if Christians are so kind, which is largely true, then why does the church find itself, uh, sorry to be a little honest this morning, but why does the church find itself quite irrelevant in society today? It doesn't seem to be permeating things all that well, at least visually. So there's something about a nice, kind group of people that gathers every so often and are nice and do nice things and think nice thoughts that somehow is failing to impact culture very well in our society. So it begs the question, is there something going on in being a Christian that's beyond being a nice person? I hope there is. So a deeper question to ask would be, what's the motivation behind your kindness? Obviously, we're not going to say, you know, be unkind. But maybe there's a deeper motivation behind one's kindness that I think it's going to be important to look at this morning. Um, I have just, very easy to get lulled into the gospel of the culture, which I think is just be kind to one another. How many times have you heard that? Doesn't like Ellen say it every episode? Just, just be kind to one another. So I don't mean, I got, if I make fun of Ellen, people freak out at you. But uh, anyways, um, I, it's, it's nice advice. I don't think it's the gospel, though. It's, not a, it, it's for sure not encompassing the whole thing. Be kind to one another. Who's going to argue with that? And yet, 
uh, love in its fullness and beauty, and what I think the church is supposed to represent, sometimes doesn't make it into culture. And perhaps be kind to one another isn't sufficient for the objectives of the church to redeem and restore. I think about sometimes the words that Jesus used, used to describe who we're supposed to be. One of them is salt. And salt back in the day, it's not seasoning. It was to preserve rotting meat. <laughs> That's what salt, you gotta be the salt of the earth. The earth is decaying. You're the salt that preserves it from rotting. Salt's pretty abrasive, I would say. <laughs> and so somehow that mission is lost in this word kindness. It, kindness is involved, but it doesn't capture it all. So, if Ellen says, be kind to one another, what, is, what does Jesus say? Um, we're going to put John 13, 34, and 35 up there. Um, let's see if this works. And can't you click that for me? John 13, 34 to 35 says this, a new command I give to you, love one another. Now, this is the wild part. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you. He went to some pretty extreme lengths, if you've read the New Testament, to love us. As I have loved you, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, so this is saying something different. Uh, the command isn't be kind to everybody. The command is love everyone. As I've loved you, that's a wild thing to say. So when you start to describe it this way, and we ask the question, uh, uh, you can put this question on the, on the screen, is there a difference between love and kindness? Well, when I hear that, and I, and I, look, at the, and I look at the length Jesus went to, to accomplish uh, oneness with us, uh, the word kindness doesn't really grasp it, and so let's pull it apart and see what happens. I'm gonna argue this morning, that the main difference that I see between love and kindness is love has proactivity built into it. Love has, um, it has action. It has uh, momentum. It has direction. So it's, if, you, if you love somebody, you would be discontent to see them in a state of suffering or disconnectedness. If they were going through a hard thing, or not understanding something, or they didn't know God, or weren't close to you, or there was hardship in their life, or love, if you love that person, you go after that. You're, you're not passively kind when you need me. It's, how do I actually be part of that restoration process? How do I involve myself? What is it going to cost me? Where do, what do I long to see in this person? That's kind of awkward, right? Because if you're proactive, it means something. You can put the next little block up there. It means we actually have some outcomes. Like we hope for some outcomes. So this is awkward. This is, track with me. We spend a lot of time in this church talking about love as a free gift, right? Like it's the giving and receiving just freely. And that's, a, that's the beauty of a, of a relationship that's love-based is you love them freely and they love you back freely. Obviously, we're not, gonna, we're not changing that this morning. But this word outcomes is interesting to me because even though my love to you is a free gift, I still hope for something. Like I still, maybe I hope you change. 
Maybe I hope you realize something. Maybe I hope that you have a desire for a relationship you didn't have before. Maybe I hope that you would trust Jesus more. Maybe I hopes, outcomes, desires, intention. If love doesn't have those things, it's weird. Like, how do you have love without hopes and longings and expectations? I don't know if I can go that far, but you hope for some stuff. So this gets tricky, right? Because being kind is very passive. It's just kind of like, oh, I'll be kind. And if people come to me and they need 10 bucks, like I'll be generous, like, and I'll be considerate when people, I'll be agreeable. But all that stuff doesn't actually have any direction to it or, or hope in it or, well, proactivity would be the right word. And it doesn't have any outcomes necessarily in it either. So love's awkward because what happens is, is when you have direction and when you have hopes and when you're not content and when people, were, you're not close and you want that to change, all of a sudden, it just brings about tension. And it kind of just, well, you can put that up there. It's, it's just tension filled now because you might not want to do that and we might not be seeing eye to eye and you might be being selfish right now. I might be being selfish right now, but there's a, there's a, there's a future hope for something that I'm longing for and now going somewhere together automatically implies the fact that, well, now there's tension because there's direction involved. So, hmm, the obvious example of this would be, what if you had some confrontation and there was someone living in a way and you just felt a burden on your heart to be like, I gotta say something. Like, this is gonna kill them. This is gonna rob the fullness of relationship with God and what we just call it sin, right? If someone's sinning <laughs> and it's obvious, like, let's just paint a really black and white example. If you see sin in somebody's life, uh, what do you do about that? Well, there's tension now because I'm hoping you don't do that anymore, because I love you, obviously. So is that weird? I hope that's not weird. <laughs> Otherwise, what are we? Are we a family? Like, if that's too much, I don't know what we're doing anymore. So it gets tension-filled, because it's like, wow, I hope for more for you. <laughs> and I certainly hope people are hoping for more for me. So wh where I, I learned this lesson the hard way, and I'll share the story with you. Um, a bunch of years ago in high school, I had a good friend, in high school, we stuck together. He was a good buddy, you know. He was the kind of we stuck together. It was him and me and him, you know, in all our classes. And and uh, uh, I really loved this guy. He was a good friend, but he had a, he had a promiscuous lifestyle. And he he was yeah. He just it was hard to watch him uh, have these desires and then have them not be met and then try try again. And I, and I, I didn't really know how to help. I I knew that that wasn't what relationships were supposed to be and, and I knew that it was hard on him and hard on the people that he used <laughs> and it was tricky for me because I didn't know how to explain it because now I got to bring up Jesus and <laughs> like it's the only thing that even the well, only reason why I would and that's hard and so I didn't do a very good job of that but the rubber kind of met the road when a good friend of mine uh, another friend of mine the three of us were all friends and and she started coming out to church with me, and she, her faith was growing. She was having these questions about Jesus, and, and he wasn't a Christian, and she became one. She was really young in her faith. But then right after high school, they started going out. And I remember being so conflicted because I heard the way he would talk when nobody was around. 
and I knew, I knew his intentions. And then I looked at her, and I'm like, oh, ah, what do I do? What do I do? And I was just ripped in two, because like, is this even any of my business? Like, I can just wash my hands of it, and if they need my help, I'll be kind. I'll be considerate. Man, I wrestled. I wrestled so hard. I, I love both of them a ton. <laughs> I think I should help, maybe, but maybe not. Wow. I'm like thinking back to it. I was just, what a wrestle that was. 17-year-old me. Trying to figure out what it means to be a loving person. So I risked it. I risked it. And I asked her to go out for Brecca, as one does. And I, as, as kindly and as lovingly as possible, said, hey, uh, you're, you're, your journey and your faith is super fresh. Man, I'd love to see that grow so that you could love him better. And I tried to explain how that thing, and I don't know if I did a very good job. I tried. I tried. I lobbed it out there being like, this could go super poorly. And it did. It went so poorly. Uh, she didn't say anything at Brecca, but she went back to him said, Jonathan hates us, doesn't support us in our love, and I never spoke to them again. I was like, shoot. Ah, oh, I was proactive in my love the best I knew how, and it just got totally squashed. But I look at that, and in many ways, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. <laughs> I loved them too much, both of them. I wanted my friend to know Jesus so bad. And I wanted my other friend to be protected and safe and, ah! And it didn't go well because I had hopes and outcomes and they, and they didn't come true and I risked having them for someone else out of love. Maybe you've been there. So that's, an, that's a, I mean, it's hard, but it's a simple example and easy to understand of like, oh yeah, yep. I could choose not to care. Maybe I should, not sure. <laughs> Maybe we've been there. Maybe you have people in your life right now where you're like, is that in my business? I'd really wish it wasn't. But think about any kind of proactive love. It has hopes and outcomes in it. Think about something simple like getting flowers for the person you love. If you get someone flowers, you have hopes. Like, yes, it's free. And no, you're not looking for something back to make it worth it, but don't you hope that you're closer or that they feel loved or that you, of course you have hopes. I'll prove it to you. You don't get flowers for anyone. Like if you got flowers for someone you didn't know well, they'd be like, what do you want from me? Right? That's the first question you ask. What, what, what do you want? But if you have a love relationship, it's like, oh, I know what you want. You want to be close. You want our relationship to be deeper. And it's a little bit, it's, it's less of a lob than the example that I took, but I love you as a question, right? It's like, let me tweet that. Um, so the point being is that uh, I think love has hopes and intentions in it. So that's the, that's the psychology. We had, a, we, had a, we had a sermon series in the summer called Conversations with Jesus. And it's so funny to me because the reason why we came up with this series is because the series before it just, it just 
was heavy and there was conviction at the end of every sermon. And it was like, you know what? Let's do something light and we'll just go through the conversations Jesus had and it's gonna be just so nice and easy. And then we're like, whoops, everything he said was abrasive and he did this all the time. Like the rich young ruler, just like, oh, I love you so much, sell everything you have. <laughs> no, thank you. He's just getting shut down, like usually shut down. <laughs> sometimes not, sometimes yes. He just didn't seem concerned with his definition of what love was. And his heart was just always out there. Sometimes it was abrasive. Sometimes, sometimes it was so kind, right? We're not contrasting. Like he was kind a lot, but the reason why he would was very courageous or the reason why he was abrasive was out of love. Very courageous. He had lots of tools at his disposal and I think we do too, kindness being one of them. But the why though? Why are you being kind? So, I think Jesus was extremely discontent with the state of the world. And you think, you think he had a little direction in mind? You think he had a little proactivity? You think he had some outcomes he was hoping for? Pretty sure he did. He wants to know you so bad and he's desperate to make a way for it. That's what love is. So this is the, the I don't know, kind of the point of today, the main sentence. You can put it up there. So I'm gonna argue for the fact that given the proactivity, love requires a trustworthy source to define what it is. If you're gonna risk, like if you're gonna risk having hopes and expectations for other people to know God and know other people better as the scripture would define it, like you better be sure that the source is trustworthy because that is so vulnerable. It's so vulnerable to call people to something. It, to, to anything that costs them anything. So we better be sure about this, hey? We better be, we better be, what's the source of it? Is the source trustworthy? Is scripture and what Jesus says about what love really is and the way that I kind of just explained it, is that, can we trust that? Because your, your heart is way out there if you choose to do it. <laughs> so here's, here's, I mean, parenting is always the easiest example, so I'll say it again. Uh, Two-year-olds who don't want to wear pants today you know as their mom or dad, not a great plan. And I'm a trustworthy source for what is most loving for you right now. Wearing pants is going to be super helpful for you today. And I know that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know that it's constricting. But it, just trust me. Like, I understand the most loving thing to do in this moment. Right? And so, as I often do, I put myself in the shoes of the two-year-old between me and my relationship with God. Very helpful exercise, by the way. And I'm thinking, do I actually believe that the way that you ask me to love people is the way that I'm supposed to? Like, is this the best plan? So here's what I've realized is, uh, am I more afraid of people not knowing God and knowing what love is than I, like, am I more afraid of that than, than I am about being, being misunderstood? I, I'm, love is misunderstood all the time. Ask any parent who's literally given everything for their kids and they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Love, love in its purest form is so misunderstood. It's so vulnerable. So uh, a little realization I've had as I've been thinking about this this week is that a lot of the time, I, this is me, okay? This is me. But my good old Christian kindness, more often than not, 
is thinly veiled fear and lack of conviction that the way Jesus defines love actually works and is worth it. So what I do is I'm like, you know what? I'll just be kind because that's close enough, right? That's close enough. If someone needs me, I'll be kind. And then I look at scripture and I'm like, whoa, love is way more tenacious than that. So, um, talking about fear, mostly afraid. You can put 1 John 4.18 up there. It says, uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So that's, that's crazy, because maybe the reason why I'm too afraid to love other people is because maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't come to a full understanding of how much I'm loved already. And that makes sense. If I'm not loved already, I have to preserve all my other relationships, right? To make sure that they don't stay too tension-filled and that everybody likes me and you, you manage your little system and uh, your life. But if I'm perfectly loved, it does cast out fear. I'm freed up now to love people in the fullest definition of what that is. But if I'm not, I gotta make up the difference with some other version of the gospel. That's a little scary. I do it all the time. So if we're going to put our hearts out there like this, let's get a, let's get a good definition of what, uh, how does scripture actually define love. Uh, put 1 John 4, 4.10 up there. This is helpful because it just says, this is love, colon. <laughs> so <laughs> this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is wild. God's like, okay, you know what's better than being seen? Is you living in such, you living the way that I did. That's the best way I can show the fullness of who I am and my power. Love like I did. That's, that's God manifest in us by his spirit, through his church. That's his plan, is to so love us that we would love others. And he's saying it's better than him being seen. It's like, no, me being seen is you loving other people in this way. It is you pursuing like I pursued. That's a wild thing to think. He's best made visible through our love for one another. John 17 says, like, they're going to know that I'm the Messiah because you love each other and you're unified. It's actually the most dramatic example of anything. Kindness doesn't make up for that. Kindness is just a bunch of people being nice to each other in a room. There's a whole bunch of mixed motives in that. Kindness is like my go-to for being afraid. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'll just be a nice guy. What do you want from me? Mmm. -hmm. So, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, uh, here's how I'm trying to live like this. <laughs> here's my best take, my best go at trying to be a loving man in the way that we've described it this morning proactively. Step one, be humble. I have to tell myself to be humble every day because you know what pride looks like to me? Is defining love myself. Like, I'll just make up what love is today. 
it, nine times out of ten, I just picked the selfish version of it. But I'm really good at it, so you'd never know that I wasn't being loving. <laughs> you wouldn't know. I, could, I got you all fooled. I, I could just be the nicest guy ever, and we can write sermons. That helps. And you just don't love. It's so easy to not love proactively. It's very simple. So I have to go, okay, humility. I don't know what love is. I don't know how to advance your kingdom by my own strength. You have to do that. So first step, I'm not in charge. First step, I need to be humble. You know what that leads to? And this is, this is the natural byproduct. For me, natural byproduct is uh, you're, you just live so vulnerably. And your, ho- your heart is just out there on a platter for the whole world to see. And I'm realizing that because I'm so desperate, like this, this I know to be true in my heart, I am so desperate for God's love to be made manifest through my life. I am so desperate for that because it's the only thing that I've ever seen work or reconcile anyone or bring health or bring love. Like he has to make himself known through my life and I want that so bad. And he's like, great. Uh, here's how you do that. Live vulnerably. Like live just with your heart way out there. It's wild because my way forward in every area of my life, given where I want to go, given those hopes and outcomes that have gripped my heart, like thy kingdom come, you know that one? Like that's really gripped my heart. And so when that's on there, he's like, great, live as vulnerably as I did. You just think about Jesus, just uh, here's everything and now you get to come close if you like. And I'm like, oh, I have to do that. So I, so I, so I, I'm trying to just be a loving person going, this is, this is what I hope for. And so I'm starting to just say everything I'm thinking. And it takes every ounce of faith and humility and vulnerability that I have to say what I'm thinking. Like, oh, I really, I really want you to know Jesus actually because he's the best. <laughs> and, uh, and what can I do for you? And I disagree with that and I love you somehow. <laughs> it's so hard. And then people can just go, squash. People can just go, you make me feel ashamed of myself. Have you ever had anyone tell you that because you tried to love them? Wow. You shut down and you get kind. You're making me feel ashamed of myself right now. You're like, whoa. That's not what I'm trying to do. Oh, but hold on, hold on, hold on. If you, oh, what if, what if that's helpful? Like, what if you're separated from God? What if, what if there's sin in your life that, that is preventing you from, would I be okay with you thinking that I, like, how desperate are we for people to know him? How vulnerable are we willing to be? And now you see what living a life of love looks like. It's like way out there. And you get stomped on sometimes because people don't understand, just like they didn't understand him. Jesus. Um, you know what's wild is that uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the King James Version of the Bible, we have new translations. I don't use that anymore because it says thy and thee and stuff. Um, but one of the words trying to describe God was like, thank you for your loving kindness. It's kind of funny. Hey, they like smashed those two words together to try to sum up who God was. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew word it was making up for. But a sentence-long definition of that word is to bend or bow oneself. That was interesting. Loving kindness 
is this, this, this bending or bowing, like bending a knee to, to, to uh, the humility and vulnerability in that is wild. Like for us, yeah, God, just staggering. Thank you for your loving kindness. So, at the end of the day, uh, I'm just super desperate for God to advance his kingdom through me. And he wants to do it through a kingdom of love that he's in charge of, that he gets to define. And here's what's super neat. No, this is what I'll end with. This is what's super neat is as I've, that's been the cry of my heart and realized that living a loving life with your heart way out here is kind of the only way forward to advance it at all. The safety that I feel in the love of God is nuts. Like I actually need him. Like I actually need all the true things. Like all the capital T truths aren't just nice thoughts from the sermon last week. It's like, wow, I need that to be true right now. Wow, do I need you to love me completely right now. Wow, do I need to be close to you. Wow, do I need to read my Bible to make sure I know what that thing says. Because I'm getting misunderstood. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you that it is so worth it. Uh, yes, the outcomes often go favorably. Yeah, I don't want to promise you anything, but it's your best case for reconciliation is living a loving life, I can guarantee you. And I've never felt closer to God in my entire life. I just haven't because I actually need him. And then the beauty of we love because he first loved us is like, oh, oh, that's what that means. What a great plan. What a great plan. So, in conclusion, maybe I'll just ask you, is there an area in your life or something God's calling you into that requires you to have a really full definition of what the word love means? Maybe he's calling you to be deeply proactive in some way, to go after the one, you know, reckless love. (laughs) Just go after the one. What do you have to believe in your heart to do that? What's that going to cost what kind of truth needs to be met in that place? Well, that's, those are fun questions. And man, do I find Jesus meets us there because of our humility and openness and vulnerability, which I think is always ever longing for from us. Just trust me. Father, yeah, the worship team can come up. Lord, we, we, uh, I'm so grateful that you loved us first. I'm so grateful to the lengths that you went to and the proactivity you took, oh my goodness, to love us. And then you've asked us to do the same because of how much is already accomplished. It's all accomplished. And so Lord, right now I pray that what we would hear is an invitation into the fullness of what you've already said about us and what you've done for us. And I pray that any fear in this room will be removed, not because of bravado, not because, of over, not because of drumming something up, but because, an under, because of an understanding of the fullness of love and a conviction that it's the only way forward. God, right now, I, I, just, mm, I just feel like there's hearts in this room who you're trying to give your heart to. So Father, who, whoever is in this room that's ready to receive your heart for something, I pray that by your spirit, you would break down those walls and let 
your heart rest on theirs. Your heart for this world and your heart for them personally. Thank you that it's a package deal. And Father, I pray that the kindness of your spirit would be present. God, you are so kind. Your love is so kind. It's so patient and so gentle. So would that spirit rest in here? We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.